God, you're so great. You're so mighty. You're so worthy of all our praise this morning. You are worthy of our attention and our affections. You are so good and faithful. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you, God. Help us to not take it for granted. For your word would convict us, would challenge us, would change us, encourage us today, God. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We looked at verses 3 and 4 last week, and today we'll look at verse 5. You know, sometimes in the Word, if you look too close and don't look at everything around it, or if you get too close to it and not from a big picture perspective, sometimes you miss out on what's being said, why it's being said, and the results of what's being said. And I think that uh, it's important for us to look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and keep in mind what Jesus is up to here. What's his purpose for these words? What's he after? And I think that is clear for us when we see in verses 1 and 2 that, that it says, seeing the crowds, and we know that when Jesus sees the crowds, he has compassion. He went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so we see here that he has compassion for the people, and, and yet he responds to the passion that he has for the people, for the crowds, by retreating from them and going up the mountain. And he, when he goes up into the mountain, uh, he sits down. He goes to a place and a time, and the disciples came to him. So he goes from a very large group opportunity and he retreats from that large group, and he goes and he, he, he surrounds himself with a small group. And that purpose of this small group is to prepare them to be able to impact the crowd, to be able to impact the crowd. And it says in verse 2 that he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, so chapters 5, 6, and 7 give us information uh, that uh, we are to apply to our lives and become people that follow these teachings. And when we follow these teachings, then we are equipped to make a difference in impact in that crowd. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about that the very first thing, the very first uh, uh, week or the very first step in the training that, that Jesus gives his disciples is they've got to understand that they're poor in spirit. They've got to understand that, that their sin separates them from the Lord, that, that their sin is a problem. They are poor in spirit, poor in spirit versus full of yourself and rich in spirit. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people that realize they need Jesus. Blessed are the people that realize that they're not all that in a bag of chips, right? Blessed are the people that realize that they cannot earn their right standing with God. They do not deserve a right standing with God, that they are poor in spirit. And being poor in spirit helps us to realize our great need for a Savior. And he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Nothing better than knowing you're going to heaven. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. And this mourning in verse 4 is not grieving the loss of a loved one. This is mourning the fact of our sin. 
when we come to the place in our lives, the Holy Spirit convicts us that we have sinned against God, we are to have a godly sorrow, and that godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so the players in the kingdom, the effective soldiers, the trained ones, the prepared ones, uh, the ones that are going to make the most impact in their world are the people that, first of all, recognize that they needed Jesus desperately because of their sin, and they repent because they grieve over the fact that they've sinned against God. And then he says in verse 5, Blessed are the meek. Blessed in each verse, in 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. In 11, each time it uses the word blessed, it's the same thing. This is a result of having this quality in your life. If this characteristic, this experience is in your life, then you are going to be blessed. And to be blessed means that we are content regardless of the circumstances. We, therefore, the benefits of being blessed are that uh, good times don't, don't, don't uh, cause us to strive for more. And, and we don't, you know, people that are going through good times and circumstances are in control versus the Spirit of the Lord in control. Uh, even people who are experiencing good things, making money, living the dream life, and all those kind of things, they get caught up in deal. They're not content. They want bigger, better, and, and more spectacular events. Well, people who are going through hard times, uh, they allow those hard, line, hard times to determine their their life, how they feel, how they, how they perceive their life to be. And so the, the condition, the state of mind of being blessed is a contentment that circumstances can't, can't move. Man, we said last week, if we could put that in a pill, we could become Elon Musk, right? We could become Bill Gates and, and the Amazon man all together. And throwing Richard Branson in there, and we can go maybe to Mars, put all four of those together, and we may get us a Cadillac ride to Mars or something. But if you could put all that in a pill, and if you could put how to have a contentment no matter what, man, just think about what that would mean in our world today. Um, drug rehabs would all close, Right? If, if we could put this kind of contentment into a pill and people would take that pill, there'd be no more drug rehabs. You know, there'd be no more divorce courts, right? There, there, uh, I, I believe that uh, uh, health clinics, mental health clinics would shrink. There'd still be some, I suppose, but they would definitely shrink if we could find this kind of contentment. And, and I believe that what Jesus is saying to you and to me today is, it's available. This kind of contentment is available. So blessed are the meek. The word meek, even though it rhymes with weak, it doesn't mean weak. If someone calls you meek, it doesn't mean that you're soft. It doesn't mean that you're milk toast. you know, that you're a biscuit that just falls to pieces in coffee. If you are meek, what it means is, you have a strength, but that strength is under control. If you are a meek person, it says Moses was the meek one, right? That's what the scripture tells us. Moses had great strength, great leadership ability. 
He had the raising of Pharaoh's home. He had the, the uh, uh, leadership with the people. He was, he was sought after from time to time, and, and people were willing to follow him. Of course, <clears throat> those same people were willing to kill him at times, but nevertheless, he was able to use his, the Lord used his leadership skills and all those things moving forward. But as time developed, even for Moses, who made some mistakes along the way, he was described as the meek one, the meekest one. He had strength that was under control. If you work around livestock very much, you'll have someone say, be careful of that one. Don't turn your back on that one. Don't turn your back on that stallion. Don't turn your back on that mare. Don't you ever get in a pen with that bull, right? Don't, get, don't you turn your back on that billy right there because as soon as you turn your back on that billy, that billy is going to get you. you ever gotten, have you ever been gotten by a billy? Woo, man, they'll, they'll, they'll wear you out for a little bit if you're not careful. You don't need to give them the upper hand. Those animals are being described as they're not meek. They're not broken. They're not useful you can't get in a pen with him. You can't work with him easily. They have not been broken and come to the place where the strength is under control. It really is an amazing thing that a 15, 2,000 pound horse can, can be broke and, and can have a small little two pound bit in his mouth and with a chain underneath and you can control that horse if it's being broke. That's the idea here of, of being meek, of being meek. You know that you're growing in being meek when the fight of who you are, your place in life, and your purpose takes a back seat to the Lord. You know you've grown in meekness when the fight is over. When the fight of who you are your place in life, your purpose in life is subdued. And what God wants for you takes its place. You see, the people that Jesus is raising up to carry out his cause and his purpose must be broke. They must be meek. And they must recognize that his purpose is far more significant and important than their own purpose. So blessed are the meek. You know you're growing and being meek when anger is no longer in control. Anger is no longer in go under control. You know that you're growing and being meek when revenge is a dim memory. When you can't remember the last time you thought about getting even with someone. You know that you've been broke. That you're growing and being meek. You know that you're growing and being meek when... You're able to wait on the Lord to open doors rather than kick them down yourself. You're growing and being weak. The Lord wants his people to wait on him. The Lord wants his people not to kick doors down, but wait for the Lord to open them. You know you're growing and being meek when you no longer have a need to be noticed. When that's not the driving force of your life, to be noticed, to be recognized, to be appreciated. You're growing in meekness when that's no longer your need to be noticed. 
You know that you're growing in, in being meek when you're just more accepting of things than you used to be. You're more accepting of circumstances. Frankly, delays don't get in your way like they used to. Problems don't get in your way like they used to. It's no longer a deal breaker for you. If you can't remember how long it's been since you lost a night of sleep over an insignificant matter, you're most likely growing and being meek. You're getting where God wants you to be. If you no longer or not as frequently lose sleep over matters in the world, in your life, that used to just wear you out. You know you're growing and being meek when someone disagreeing with you is no longer a major issue in your life. Now, you might go through a time where you think, well, maybe I'm just not caring anymore. Maybe I've lost, maybe I'm callous. Maybe I've, I've become hard. When you start, when you come to the place in your life where you really stop being overly concerned with what people think about your opinions, you know. Uh, sometimes you go through a time where going, I, I say, Lord, am I just hard-hearted or calloused? And, and what's going on here? No, you're growing and being meek. And meek people have strength under control. You know, they're, they're not so apt to challenge every single disagreement that there is. You're growing and being meek when performance is exchanged for the condition of your heart. And what matters is the heart condition and not what you've accomplished. That's growing and being meek. That's the kind of people God uses, by the way. You know you're growing and being meek when the simple pleasures of this life are enjoyed more. Remember, the spectacular is no longer the issue. The bigger and the better is no longer the issue when you grow and be in meek. And when you grow and be in meek, it's very much in many ways similar to the wisdom of growing old in age. When you get to a certain age, the simple pleasures in life just mean more. And when you grow and be in meek spiritually, the simple pleasures, God just, he just magnifies in your life. I mean, you walk in a room and there's a chair. I don't need Disneyland. I don't need Disney World. I don't need Six Flags. I need a chair. And you sit in that chair. And if that chair feels good, it, it just doesn't get much better than that. You know you're growing in meekness when you have that chair and it's been hot all day and you just feel a little cool breeze. Thank you, Lord. Don't need the spectacular, don't need the bigger, and don't need the better. You just need a chair. The simple things are enjoyed more. You know you're growing and being meek when the competitive drive of your flesh vanishes. I had two experiences this week. One's very embarrassing. Um, both have to do with jogging. My little jog I do. So I'm on my jog, and uh, this guy, I didn't hear him coming, but he went by me so fast, and I watched him go down the road, 
And I was thinking, maybe I should speed up. Maybe I should get right behind him. Maybe I should really go for it. And you know what my next thought was? Nah. <laughs> nah. It's all right. It's all good. Go for it, young man. Burn up in this heat. And he went way down the sidewalk down there. And, and I came over the little hill by the old middle school and looking down that way. And he done turned around. He'd already lapped me if he was, we were going around a lap on a field. And back he came. And when he came by me, I'm covered in sweat. And I'm looking at him. He ain't no sweat on that boy. <laughs> and there he goes. I was running Saturday in my neighborhood. And there's this little lady that walks. Yes. We meet at an intersection, and I said, Lord, please have her turn left. I'm going to turn left, go this way. Have her come the way I'm going, because I can't endure it today. But sure enough, she follows me. Yet before we get down to the end, she's done walked alongside of me with her real fast walk. And she's down there, and she, have a good day. Yes. I'm trying to run, and she walks faster than me than I run. And I was reminded of this. I, Lord, you show me that, so you, you know, you're, you're reminding me whether or not I'm meek or not. Strength under control means I don't go, I'm going to beat her. Because how horrible it would be that if you run and you beat her and she's walking, you know, does it really make you feel better, Lee? No. But you know that you're, when your competitive drive about things that don't really matter, I mean, competition's good, right? It's not a spiritual quality to lose your comp competitive spirit because being competitive is important at times, but healthy competitive, you know, to, to just try to outrun a guy that probably was 30 years younger than me would be r ridiculous. That's, that's flesh. And it's a good feeling to have the thought for a moment and then go, nah, I'm good with him running faster than me. Hope he makes it. Hope he spits on his, chokes on his cereal after lunch, but that's, that's the point. <laughs> the meek grow in being teachable. You know you're growing in being meek when you are teachable and you soak up his word, you receive his word, and, and you apply it to your life, you're teachable. The meek are, are growing, growing and being meek when they submit to what Lord wants for their lives, to God's will. Charles Spurgeon said, the meek disciple is humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, and contented. And so when you look at what Jesus is trying to do, he's training up his people. He's training up his workers, and he wants them to be humble. He wants them to be gentle. He wants them to be patient. He wants them to be forgiving, and he wants them to be contented. What he's building is people who are going to serve him for the long haul. They are not going to quit they are not going to give up. They are not going to get so frustrated that they become cynical and resentful and bitter. 
The, the masses is a hard thing to deal with. People's problems are a hard thing to deal with. You're, if you go into the crowd and you begin to deal with a crowd, you're going to deal with all kinds of sins, all kinds of attitudes, all kinds of behaviors, all kinds of issues. You're going to deal with them. You're going to have to listen to them. You're going to, you're going to have to deal with griping, complaining, arguing. You're going to have to deal with people trying to one-up each other. I mean, when you begin to deal with the crowds, you, you've got to really be ready for that. And the first three things that Jesus says prepares people to get ready for the crowd is they realize they're poor in spirit, they mourn, and they're meek. And they're meek. The thing about being meek is it's a learned thing. We learn to be meek. We learn by realizing that our pride doesn't produce good things. And we realize our pride gets in the way. We learn by experience that anger takes us where we don't need to be. The Bible tells us that anger does not produce the righteousness that God wants. We learn to be meek by spending time with Jesus and allowing him to teach us, to guide us, to show us. We learn by letting other people in our lives. And we allow the people that God has put into our lives to mentor us, to teach us, to guide us, to keep us accountable, to have that place in our life. And we grow in meek when we simply learn by applying the teachings of Jesus. We grow in being weak. Now, Jesus says here, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, there's a couple different ways to deal with the meek inheriting the earth. One way is to think about we inherit the earth in our lifetime now. I think it's worth looking at. It may not be the best explanation for what it means that the meek will inherit the earth, but look in 1 John chapter 5. It's a good idea to keep this in mind and keep focus on this, that this is what happens to those who are meek. In verse 1, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So verse 1 says, If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you've been born again. Accept that. That's true. Well, don't I have to be baptized? That's not what it says. Don't I have to get everything worked out? No, that's not what it says. Don't I have to be perfect? No, that's not what it says. What does it say? It says, everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, have been born again. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. And so we, as we're born again, born of God, then we naturally and unnaturally, by the work of the Spirit, begin to love God's children. And we love God and we obey His commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So loving God, loving others, doing the Great Commission, making disciples, forgiving people, if we're walking in the Spirit, if we are growing and being meek, the commandments are not burdensome. And so stop yourself when you begin to make this excuse or give this reason. I just can't do that. I can't keep the commandments. 
you have lost sight of the fact that God is the creator of this world. So when you say, I can't do that, I can't keep the commandments, think about what you're saying. The one that created the oceans, the volcanoes, the one that has created DNA, the mind, the brain, the hand. What a deal that is right there now. Can, I mean, think about how much intellect it took to create a hand. We pick up stuff with it, right? We write with it. I mean, we do all kinds. I mean, the hand, it's a brilliant thing. Man, it, it's, I understand they're really making progress in robotics and like that, but I still don't think they got that worked out. I saw this thing on TV the other day with this robot, and it said this thing learns how to run. Well, it doesn't run better than me. It was awkward. It was all over the place. I was thinking that those parts are not going to last a long time. The military has got this mule-looking thing that's got four legs, and it, it doesn't work like our bodies do. They got a long way to go. Did you see the Kenyan win the marathon yesterday? Oh my gosh, just one time, Lord, one time, give me that. One time, can you believe how smooth he ran? Oh my goodness, and he's what? He's a minute and 20 seconds ahead on that marathon against the other best runners of the world, and he's just going around. He, he was sweating a little bit. You see a little sweat, but not much. I mean, they handed him, they handed him a bottle of water. He, he just keeps going. I'd have stopped, I'd have sat down. Right? Poured it all in my head. You got a taco in there or something. This water, water's not going to be enough. I mean, he was beautiful running. I went, I mean, he was beautiful. I mean, I was watching his feet. And, and every step was just identical to the previous step. And his left foot was a little bit out compared to his right one, but it obviously didn't matter because he kept it the same way. And he ran on the balls of his feet. His heels never touched the ground. And he just, and when he gets close to the end, to the finish line, people are waving at him and going, you know, like he's, he's Queen of England or something. Amazing. It's amazing what God has designed our bodies to do. Surely, he has the power to help us keep his commandments. Surely, he has the power when we choose, because he does not overrule our choosing in that point. He doesn't force himself on us. If we choose to not reject or not resist the work of the Spirit to bring us to a place of being meek, surely his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So our faith in Jesus, the creator of all, helps us overcome the world. We have overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so this idea of inheriting the earth could be applied that right here and now we live beyond the pull of this world because we are in Christ and Christ works through us and through his work in us, 
we overcome the world. The world doesn't plague us. The world doesn't have a control over us. The world doesn't beat us down any longer. The world doesn't have its hold on us as we believe in Christ. So that could be one of the lessons to inherit the world. But probably, overall, Jesus has something grander in mind. Look in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees that dragon, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and for those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Who reigns with Christ for a thousand years? Jesus says the meek. The meek inherit the earth. Consider that, to reign with Christ for a thousand years. thousand years. To reign here on this world for a thousand years. And then we live with him for all of eternity past that thousand years. But what an opportunity we have to grow in meekness. What an opportunity we have. What's looking forward to What a reward to reign with Christ. When Jesus reigns for a thousand years, Satan's all chained up. Now, at the end of that thousand years, he's going to be let go. So Jesus shows all the people again, he shows all of the universe again, that he's got far more power over Satan. It's going to be a solid whipping. And we can be there reigning with Christ. And so for me, that says to me, you know, you can live for now and, and you can enjoy that you've overcome the world now, but don't live for now at, you know, the exclusion of realizing what's ahead. And so from this perspective, not only is Jesus preparing us to impact the crowd, Jesus is preparing us for a thousand year reign with him. That's pretty cool. What's it going to look like? Don't have a clue. Lee don't know. People write books about it. Check them out. See what they got to say. I don't know what it's going to be like. I know it's going to be better than anything we ever thought about. I know it's going to be better than anything we can consider. I know it's going to be better than any imaginary thought we can have. It's going to be, it's going to be blow our imagination away. Blessed are the meek. Benefits for us now. Being meek is a blessing for us. It is something that helps us to relax at night, to sleep good at night, to have purpose, 
to realize this is not all there is. It is a good uh, uh, weakening of worry and stress and anxiousness when we are meek. Because when we're meek, we're completely in the Lord's hands. It is strength under control. So, are you being broke? Have you been broke? Is the Holy Spirit at work in you? Let it happen. Let the Lord do what he desires to do. He's at work building an army, making disciples for every generation to impact that crowd. And he may be working over time in your life like he does with mine from time to time to get us ready. And part of the element of being ready to make a difference in this world is that we grow into meekness. Strength under control. Strength under control. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this day. Help us, Lord, to grow in your word. Help us, Lord, to grow into understanding your purpose for our lives. And, Lord, we are so grateful for the eternal purpose that you give us. We're thankful, Father, that as we live for you, believe in you, trust in you, Lord, that we have that contentment that is beyond circumstances. And we're thankful, Father, for helping us, Lord, to get our flesh under control and to be useful for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward.